My name's Ben Ewing. Hello, Silas. This is my son. He sits here. Um, this is my wife, Dana. I don't, <laughs> I'm having a real moment in the back because I don't get to hear her sing all the time. <laughs> so, having a thing. I'm going to try to talk about other things instead of that, but um, I am so grateful for our worship team this morning um, as I got to be in back and actually do that. So, super fun. Um, my name is Ben Ewing. I said that already. I'm on leadership team, um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about why we're here. Um, and I really appreciate Trent touching on that this morning. And, and an analogy that I've heard that I really like, I'm pretty sure it came from Terry, um, is that, that we are all coals out of the fire during the week. Um, and so for a, a purpose here is to come back to this place and be coals together and support each other and become uh, uh, more alive, more on fire uh, together, and then go out into the week. Um, and so as I talk, I think about how we're trying to operate as a church, and when we think about what the leadership team is trying to accomplish here, it's for that so we can create the space and the environment and have the structure to be able to allow this to happen. And so, <laughs> whew, don't, don't look at me. <laughs> Um, and so I have a really boring update for you, uh, but the purpose of that update is to share how we're trying to do this with you all. Um, and so a big change for, for, for our leadership team is, is in the works here, and really what we're trying to accomplish is, a, is have a way for us to uh, give you all the space for the Spirit to show up in your life. Uh, for the Lord to move, for you to bring the needs of our community to a place where we can help you and the Spirit accomplish those goals. Um, this has been, and intentionally so, for many, many years, has been um, this just tongue-in-cheek, but a Ryan-centric church. <laughs> and what that means is, not in a way that that's, that's negative, but Ryan literally made everything happen for this place. So, um, uh, if you, if there was a need in the community or somebody needed uh, support, Ryan. If it, if it was, uh, I mean, just, I can go down a laundry list, but it all went to Ryan, and Ryan divvied it out. Um, and so we're we're moving to a model where the leadership team is supporting Ryan in a much more robust way and having specific areas of oversight and support of this church. And so what I'm going to do and the leadership team is going to do over the next few weeks is, is describe what we're working on and allow it uh, to show you all what we're doing and how we're progressing. Um, and so a little bit about our structure is that we're, um, we're structured based on our constitution, our church constitution. Anyone's welcome to read it. It's a fascinating document. Um, but we, uh, we have some original roles that, have, that we've always had. One is the leadership team chair, and that's me right now. So my job is to direct and organize and help support the leadership team and their efforts. Um, our chair of finance right now is Steve Reiner. Uh, so Steve's operated in this capacity for years and years, and he's continuing that. Um, and then it, Ryan Ashley, is, as a member of the leadership team, is in charge of facilitating this worship gathering, as well as other worship and teaching gatherings that happen. Uh, but we have some new roles uh, that are, that are going to be uh, more and more front and center for you all. And I'll start by saying we have a building, and now we have a facilities team lead. And so or not, we have a facilities lead on leadership, and that's Brandy Aris. Brandy, will you raise your hand? There she is. Um, so Brandy is going to come up next week and actually talk more about what, or what we're doing with the building. And um, she and several others, including Ruben, have been uh, working on how, what, 
what renovation plans are we doing with this building? And so we've got a lot in the works and we're really excited to share that with you. Um, next on the list is we have a role that's intended to be more internally or member focused. And Terry Clark, who will be speaking today, uh, is gonna be overseeing spiritual formation and maturity. And so he's gonna be in charge of activities that are helping us understand, uh, for those of us who call ourselves members, uh, what does that mean? How do we move forward? How do we grow? And the, the, the frame up for this was in Ryan's vision sermon that happened mid-January, and it's rooted in Colossians, where we talk about being able to present each other as mature in Christ. And so Terry will be focused there. And then we actually have two roles that are open right now that we're looking, we're gonna um, begin to start filling here. And one is over children's and youth. And so uh, this role is really about helping equip and guide and support Katie and Jaden in their efforts to minister and disciple to our uh, children and youth. And then uh, the last role that we're looking to fill, it will be more externally focused, to be focused on community outreach, giving, missions, and things where we bring needs of the community here and go out. And so that is additionally an open role right now. And so what I want to say is that the goal of all of this isn't to create a bunch of programs for you guys to do. Um, our goal is really about creating the space and the structure and the, and the, and the places for the spirit to move in you and, the, and for you all to step up and do what God is asking you to do and this be the place to do that. Um, a few examples of this happening recently. Um, the Bounties started a uh, Science Sundays for our kids downstairs, and I keep hearing just great feedback about how fun that is. Yeah, thumbs up to Hannah. Um, but uh, great, how great that is for our kids to bring, bring some science into the Sunday school curriculum. And then second, just as an example, is our Spiritual Formations Practices uh, Sunday School led by Joanne Siebert. Um, so really, just these are things that have brought to us and the leadership team as well as the, the staff and giving the space to go and do it. Uh, so thank you so much to those two examples. There's more, so don't, don't count out if I didn't say it, but the, these are the examples. Um, and so I just wanted to give you all a few things you can expect from us going forward. One is that you'll hear more from us. Um, we're going to be out in front talking a little bit more, um, uh, really prompting us as a, as a congregation to see where the needs are and see how we can step up into them. So you're going to hear more communication, more organization. You'll see more teams forming around specific ministries. Um, I mean, just as in other examples, we've had long had a passion for Arvada High. We'll probably see a team form around how do we support and, and, and uh, minister to the Arvada High kids. Um, and then second, we're going to ask more from you. Uh, we're going to be more intentional about asking um, for, for really two things. First and foremost, we need you to participate. And this isn't go, you know, just volunteer uh, on various ministries, but it's participate in your spiritual growth and your formation and in our process towards presenting each other as mature, which I find fascinating. I'm like, hey, yeah, somebody has to stand up and say that I'm mature. That's, 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 that's a bit much. Um, but um, so we're going to ask you to participate. So if, if you find yourself wanting to be connected, there's ways to do that. So participate. If you find yourself wanting to grow in depth of worship, participate. Um, if you want to serve the needs of the community, bring those needs and allow others to participate in serving those needs with you. Um, and then second, we're going to ask you to give uh, as well. And so just a, just a few financial updates. While we have, we have a really healthy bank account, we have a really healthy position um, financially right now. 
but um, we are behind in giving for this year, and we have there's some ramifications to that. And actually, Brandy is probably going to touch on that next week because it involves spending money. Um, <clears throat> but so we're behind, and so my ask of everyone here this morning is later today or this week, sit down, pray, assess uh, how you're giving to restoration, and, and really think about how, what you value and what you want to participate in. Because if you value where we're headed, um, as we seek to try to, to give a place for the Lord's will to, be, to come to fruition here, if you value where we're headed, um, support us by going to the website and signing up for monthly giving. Uh, that would help us tremendously. And so uh, I said you're going to hear more from us. Next week will be Brandy. We're going to have more updates from leadership team over the coming weeks. Um, but if, you, if anyone finds themselves with questions or wants to know how we're doing uh, in, in different areas or have ideas, um, please talk to me. Um, and as we transition to the um, next section here, I'm going to invite our offering team to come forward. And so um, let me pray. Father, thank you so much for this space. Thank you that you are here with us. And Lord, I pray that you, you allow your presence to be felt this morning. Um, Lord, it's, it's so fun to hear uh, the multitude of voices singing out your, your praises this morning. Lord, I pray that those, pra those praises would honor you uh, and that we would be lifted up as a community and so that our individual needs and our group needs in this place can be met and we can grow, but we can also be your light and your kingdom to this world. Lord, I pray for leadership, staff, and everyone here that we have a, a, an energized spirit of participation and seeking after you. Lord, I pray that this would be a place of, of real restoration for people. Uh, and that your will would be done here. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. I am also the reader of the scripture this morning. Please go ahead, guys. Um, so I'm going to read Romans. What is happening here? I'm going to read Romans 14. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand." One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us live for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this, is, for this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You, then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. 
So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. Thanks very much, Ben. And I'd like to throw in a word to what Ben was saying before about the working of the leadership team. Um, As you pray for the church, please do pray for the staff, Ryan, of course, and Angela, and then Katie, Prince Ministry, Mandy, Jaden, Steve Reiner, uh, Trent, with the worship team and the technical support. All of these people and the leadership team will really appreciate your prayers as you think about it. Let's think now about the uh, letter to the Romans. We're going to continue our walk through that. And we're going to start just by remembering some of the things that Ryan has been telling us over the last couple of weeks about the book of Romans. It's the middle of the first century AD. It's in the capital city of the Roman Empire. And uh, the emperor Claudius in uh, 49 AD, issued an edict that expelled all of the Jews from Rome. So they left, but the Gentiles who were still in the house churches continued while the Jews were gone. The Jews come back about five years later, and um, the house churches are still going, and of course they're going in a very Gentile flavor. The Jews have come back with their Torah observance in mind and heart, and there's some friction the Torah observance, the observing of Sabbaths, the, um, the kosher foods restrictions, particularly meats that have been offered to idols. And so the groups are not mixing well in this reinsertion of the Jews into the picture. And Paul is addressing them with this in mind. We have uh, started the Romans review that we're doing backwards. We started with chapter 16, the last chapter of the book, And now we're in 14 and 15 today. And the idea is that this book is typically, with contemporary readers, such a a mentally stretching one that by the time you get to the end of chapter 8, much less to the end of chapter 13, 
you're mentally exhausted. It's really challenging to piece it all together where Paul is going with uh, the doctrines that he's bringing out. So the, the last three chapters, 14, 15, and 16, very often get very little attention. But what if the actual point of the letter was in those chapters? What if the, today's passage, we're talking about chapter 14, verse 1 to 15, verse 13, what if that portion of the text was really the objective that Paul was going for in, from the beginning? Well, that's the premise of the study we're doing, and that's the whole reason for doing it backwards, is so that we can focus on those things as though they are the core of what he's talking about, and then the background that, um, that is given in the earlier chapters makes sense in that context. So with that in mind, with that thought in mind, that this is the focus of the letter, let's read again the opening verses of chapter 14. Welcome someone who is weak in faith, but not in order to have disputes on difficult points. One person believes it is all right to eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. The one who eats should not despise the one who does not, and the one who does not should not condemn the one who does, because God has welcomed them. Why do you think you are to judge someone else's servants? They stand or fall before their own master, and stand they will, because the master can make them stand. One person reckons one day more important than another. Someone else regards all days as equally important. Each person must make up their own mind. The one who celebrates the day does so in honor of the Lord. The one who eats does so in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. The one who does not eat abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So we're going to take a little step deeper look now at the weak and the strong in this passage. What that meant at the time, then we're going to come back and try and apply it to ourselves. We're going to come up with four things that Paul instructs us to do in this passage. And uh, let's start with just a, a little more of the setting. Ancient Rome had many temples. Even today, 2,000 years later, there's physical evidence of over three dozen temples in the city of Rome. Animal sacrifices in those temples then produced meat that was offered in the marketplaces and in the restaurants. Paul tells us his attitude in verse 14. We've already heard it. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself except that some things do become unclean for the person who regards them as such. Stated a little differently, eat what you want from the market. Um, I consider nothing is unclean in itself, but avoid anything that you consider unclean. If you consider it unclean, it's unclean for you. It was common knowledge that meats in the marketplace had come from the temples and had been first offered to idols. So obviously, Torah-observant Jews just wouldn't have anything to do with it. Interestingly, um, in Acts 5, chapter 15, there was a letter written from Jerusalem, from the apostles and elders in Jerusalem, to new Christians and people with the Jewish background, and they were trying to give them some guidance on exactly what 
um, what, was, what was needful of continuing in the law of Moses if you were a Christian. And they said, <clears throat> For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to lay any burden on you beyond the following necessary things, that you should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, from blood, from what has been strangled, and from fornication. If you keep yourselves <clears throat> from these, you will do well. Farewell. So Paul was a part of that discussion in Jerusalem. He was actually there when these things were written up, when the discussion went, took place, and he carried, he and Barnabas carried these instructions back to Antioch where they were received with joy. But now we've got this um, back and forth going in, in Romans with different positions, and Paul is actually seeming to open the door to allowing both positions to be held at the same time. So Jews would have to adopt a whole new view of things if they were going to uh, take the liberty that Paul is offering them in his position on this. They would have to really have see the business of being a Christian as a totally new context from where they were as Torah-observant Jews. It's possible also, when we're talking about weak in the faith, that some of the Gentile Christians, because they had been a part of the idolatrous worship in the temples, and they knew that that's where the meat that they were buying in the market came from, they could also say, well, I'm going to abstain from meat as well, because I just associate it with where I was before. So that Gentile making that kind of decision to abstain would also be included in Paul's description of weak in faith. So notice that there's two ways of sinning here by the, the way you choose to eat or not eat. Both ways relate to how you behave when you're together with other believers. If you are weak in faith and struggle with the thought of where the, the meat comes from, but eat it anyway, you're violating your conscience um, um, I'm sorry, uh, can you go on to the one that's, that's it, thank you. <laughs> um, if you're weak in faith and struggle with the thought of where the meat comes from, and you eat it anyway, then you're violating your conscience, and you're sinning. The other way of sinning in this context is if you are strong and knowingly offend your brother or sister by eating it anyway in their presence, that too is sin. 14.20 says, everything is pure, but it becomes evil for anyone who causes offense when they eat. Here's a story by Tom Wright that tries to illustrate the two different positions. It doesn't, in the story, you don't hear anything about Jew versus Gentile, but you'll be able to quickly pick out which side of the uh, discussion the, uh, the people in the story are on. So follow with me. Here is a Christian with a strict conscience, whose background, upbringing, and temperament all incline him towards a very serious view of his moral responsibilities. As far as he can see, and that phrase is important, the Christian is surrounded by a very wicked, corrupt, pagan world. The best thing to do is to shun it completely. And if that means not touching meat, so be it. He then notices that this woman over here, who apparently claims to be a Christian as well, is buying from the market meat which has obviously come from a pagan temple. How appalling! She's letting the side down. 
She and her family are deeply compromised. The only response is condemnation. The Christian woman, meanwhile, has been taught the deep and rich truth that the one true God is the creator and redeemer of all things. The whole world belongs to him, including every piece of meat you might ever buy or cook. She knows perfectly well that she's called to holiness, to a lifestyle very different to that of the pagan world around, but she knows equally well, perhaps she's been reading the closing paragraphs of Colossians 2, that outward regulations about what you can and can't touch, taste, and handle don't actually go to the heart of genuine holiness. For that, you need the complete renewal spoken of at the start of Colossians 3. She gets tired of being sniped at and criticized by the people who don't seem to have learned what, for her, one is one of the most basic and liberating of the gospel's lessons. They seem small-minded, timid, unable to see beyond their own front doors. When she thinks of people like that, she despises them. So in this story, we hear the separation, the judgment, the resentment from people on both sides of the issue. And though the distinction between them is clear, Paul is not bringing the difference to light to settle the argument. If this was the focus of the letter of the Romans, why is he not just insisting on everybody coming to one position or the other? The letter spends lots of time leading up to chapter 14, giving background for understanding both positions. The passage in Colossians that Tom Wright mentions that the lady, lady may have been reading is so parallel to this that we're going to spend a moment just reading it, beginning in verse 16 of Colossians 2. So don't let anyone pass judgment on you in the question of food or drink or in the matter of festivals, new moons, or Sabbaths. If you died with the king coming out from the rule of the worldly elements, what's the point of laying down laws as though your life was still merely worldly? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Rules like that all have to do with things that disappear as you use them. They are the sort of regulations and teachings that mere humans invent. They may, have a they may give an appearance of wisdom since they promote a do-it-yourself religion, a kind of humility, and severe treatment of the body. But they are of no use when it comes to dealing with physical self-indulgence. Notice that in Colossians, Paul's message on this is directly to what he refers to in Romans as the strong position. So it's just a very straightforward statement that don't let anybody mess with you about this in Colossians. And yet in Romans, he's making room for both sides. He's deliberately praising the people on both sides of the issue because they are doing what they're doing in honor of the Lord. So we're going to now identify four points of instruction from this passage that Paul gives us. And the first one begins in 14.1, and that is to welcome one another. Alternate, alternately translated, accept one another. So it it goes on to talk about then the um, welcoming and accepting in terms of a shared table, eating together, and joint worship. He uses the word weak without condemnation. He's not saying that their devotion is anything less than it should be. He even commends them by saying they're doing what they're doing in honor of the Lord. Though Paul states that the wrong are theologically correct, 
he does not and we should not imply that God is any more pleased with their behavior than the other that's described as weak. And what matters then, what matters still, is that you do it in honor of the Lord. He also does not describe any of this division in practice with labels such as Jew and Gentile because that would be reinforcing one of the things he's trying to get you past with this. And that is that no ethnic origin or practice should separate us as believers in our practice of worshiping the Lord Jesus. Paul speaks of the relationships of, of our relations as that of sisters and brothers. So we must, therefore, in practice, become a family. Do we always think the same as our siblings in our natural family? Probably not. Some of you are saying, definitely not. So others may be saying, never. But we, if there is a family relationship there, then typically there's some connection and feeling that we're connected and that there's a value to the connection even though there's differences. That's where we're going. That's where we want to go in this understanding that Paul is giving us about being a family. Here's another quote from Colossians. This is uh, chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. You must be tender-hearted, kind, humble, meek, and ready to put up with anything. You must bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint, complaint against someone else, you must forgive each other. Just as the master forgave you, you must do the same. On top of all this, you must put on love, which ties everything together and makes it complete. So then we're supposed to open our hearts to accept one another without struggling over differences between us. We should be able to set aside privilege, to set aside power of influence in an effort to submit ourselves to one another in love and accept one another. So we worship with a singular focus, and in a few minutes we're going to come back to the power that's in that and what's important about it. But let's talk about the application specifically to Restoration Covenant Church. And we come up with our second point of uh, instruction from Paul. Each person must make up their own mind. This is the Bible we're talking about. Why doesn't, why doesn't he just give us the correct answer and say, everybody believes this? Huh? That's, but that's not what he does. So that means there's something else going on than just trying to drive us toward perfect agreement on practice and on doctrine. Simply saying that lesser issues should not divide us is really not enough to explain why Paul is going this direction. There's more built into this imperative. Each person must make up their own mind. That clearly points to an intentional process that involves each of us individually. I mean, we may come to Scripture, we may look at the Scriptures, we may look at commentaries about the Scripture, we may receive teaching here from multiple other places. Hopefully, when we're going through this process of coming to our own decision about something, we're going to we're going to ask the Lord in prayer. We're going to ask for wisdom and guidance as we make the decision because what you choose matters. It matters what you decide. And why it matters is because it matters that your heart is confident in God in the choice that you make. Does this mean that everything you, you choose is okay if you feel like it's okay? 
Well, let's, let's look again at uh, chapter 14, verses 22 and 23. It says, Hold firmly to the faith which you have as a matter between yourself and God. When you've thought something through and can go ahead without passing judgment on yourself, God's blessing on you. But anyone who doubts is condemned even in the act of eating because it doesn't spring from faith. Whatever is not of faith is sin. So the encouragement to make up our, our mind relates first to the things he brought up earlier in the chapter. Eating together, the, uh, the choices of eating or not eating based upon the, the conscience and then the, the holiday celebrations. So let, let's go a little further and talk about the, the possible other places where I think that we can apply. It doesn't apply to everything you think is okay, but yes, there are other places where it will apply, and you'll recognize some of them immediately. Maybe some of you have actually heard the term test of fellowship or have used the term as I had in my youth. Um, when I was growing up in a different church uh, tradition, um, there, there were things that if, if you did these things, there was a question as to whether or not I could treat you as a fellow Christian whether I could actually uh, fellowship with you. And so it was called a test of fellowship. And the, some of the ones that were really standard were um, not drinking alcoholic beverages. That was, a, that was a biggie. And behind each one of these, there was some logic, just like that, that verse in Colossians, don't handle, don't touch, etc. This, this, there's a logic here to this business on alcohol. says when, when people abuse alcohol, they do things that are not becoming of Christians, and so let's just stay away from it totally. That was one. Another one was um, uh, dancing. <laughs> so uh, not dancing and uh, not uh, doing mixed bathing, mixed swimming, so boys and girls wouldn't swim together. And the logic there was one thing leads to another. Once the lusting takes hold, Promiscuity is not far behind, so stop at the earliest stage. Logical, okay. Next one, young earth cosmology. So uh, in the 18th century, a very well-meaning uh, European Christian leader uh, did, some, did uh, a, a study on the genealogies and the chronologies in Genesis and determined that he thought the earth could be no older than 6,000 years based upon the authority of the Bible in Genesis. So if, and that has come down to us then in the few centuries since, and uh, a lot of people saying, if you believe the Bible, you have to believe that the, the earth is only 6,000 years old. But that forces you then to stiff arm quite a bit of scientific evidence that the earth is much older than that. So these three things kind of illustrate the test of fellowship that I spoke of. All three of those were influences on the Christian teaching I received as a teenage believer. The, uh, I became a fundamentalist. I became a legalist. I was very convinced of the positions that I held and uh, was very proud of the Bible knowledge I had. I uh, would not have considered myself weak in the faith. So... But I would, excuse me, um, I would fit the definition that Paul gives of somebody whose behavior in the world is unnecessarily restricted 
by their beliefs. So would you have fellowshiped with me from where I was at that time? And looking back, I can ask myself, would I fellowship with who I was then? So, Reluctantly. <laughs> Thank you, Kurt. Yes, reluctantly. But, uh, but, but in your big heart, you would have done it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so what about now? What are contentious issues that could separate us now? Places where we need to apply the same teaching from Romans 14. We could potentially talk about politics and the different positions that each of us could hold that we would have to look past or be open to uh, accepting in terms of the, the person in spite of how we feel about what they're saying. But let's stay away from that for the moment. And uh, it's a rather volatile issue. Next week, okay. <laughs> how excited we are. <laughs> so let's, let's instead talk about something that's, that we have a shared recent experience on. And all it will take is a visual reminder to bring you fully into understanding what we're going to talk about. This is, this is a mask that doctors and nurses wear when they're doing sensitive medical procedures. It relates to a lot of things in our lives over the last three years. So I ask you, what was your attitude personally toward having to wear a mask during the pandemic? How did you relate to the lockdowns, the forced closures, the government edicts, and the retail establishment signs requiring masks? More to the point, how did you relate to the people who had a different position, a different understanding, a different practice concerning using the masks and following the guidelines? Did it change when the the vaccine came out, and that became the hottest topic for, for everybody's life for a while. Anyway, th this <laughs> I'm deliberately not baiting the answers, okay? <laughs> Hopefully, in that, you get some immediate feel, I mean real feel, for what we're talking about. We're talking about being open in our heart to somebody else with a different position on something that has real significance to us, something that could make a difference in the way we relate in general, but we're willing to look past that, like we would with a brother or sister with a different position. So that's literally what we're doing here. We're relating to a brother or sister with an open, with an acceptance, <clears throat> without disputation. And it also illustrates the business of making up your own mind. On something. So, though getting along with each other in the church is a worthy objective, that's not the end of where we're going here. That's not the end of where Paul is going in this passage. Our third instruction comes up around loving one another. Perfect practice is not the goal, perfect agreement on doctrine is not the goal. He gives us his understanding of the answer according to mature faith in Christ. Then he tells us that each person must make up their own mind. So the goal is beyond that, and it comes out in verse 15 of chapter 14. Paul says, if your brother or sister is, behave, is being harmed by what you eat, you are no longer behaving in accordance with love. So behaving in accordance with love is the third point of instruction. The action of demonstrating love by accepting our brothers and sisters can involve 
not pleasing ourselves. He goes on to talk about how Christ did not please himself. He says, we, this is in uh, chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, we, the strong ones, should bear with the frailty of the weak and not please ourselves. Each one of us should please our neighbor for his or her good to build them up. The Messiah, you see, did not please himself. Instead, as the Bible says, the reproaches of those who reproached you fall on me. You may hear the echo of Jesus' voice and his command to his disciples to love one another in the same way that he loves them. So that perfectly aligns. That passage perfectly aligns with what Paul is saying here in Romans about the example of Jesus. And then Jesus says further, this is how everybody will know that you're my disciples in John 13. If you have love for each other, this implies that people can see how we love each other. Now, that blows my mind a little bit when I really focus on it, that people see the way we relate to each other and that that becomes a demonstration of our connection to Jesus. We are then identified with Jesus if people see that we love each other. So allowing God's self-giving love to show up and flow through each of us is unleashing a, a power and a beauty that can only come from the Holy Spirit. It's not something we manufacture. It's not something we just put our mind to and suddenly we are these self, selflessly loving creatures. It's something that the Holy Spirit brings through us if we allow it. If we reach for that connection, we invite the connections with each other, then the God of love comes to show up in that. And it is a power and a beauty that only comes by the Holy Spirit. It's a demonstration of God's life that Every hungry-hearted person, wherever you go, will recognize as being from God. So, Paul points to the goal of loving, of giving ourselves unselfishly to each other in love, and he doesn't stop there. The next portion of our scripture points us beyond our church to God's purposes in the world. He thereby connects the love flow among and through God's people with the global purpose of Jesus' coming. Look with me at Romans 14, 5 and 6. May the God of patience and encouragement grant you to come to a common mind among yourselves in accordance with the Messiah Jesus so that with one mind and one mouth you may glorify the King and Father of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah. Our fourth point of instruction is to come to a common mind among ourselves. The purpose is to have a unified worship of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. The common mind is demonstrated in the unified voice expressing the glory of God among ourselves and to those outside in the world around us. Going on in the letter, Paul says, Welcome one another, therefore, as the Messiah has welcomed you to God's glory. Let me tell you why. The Messiah became a servant of the circumcised people in order to demonstrate the truthfulness of God. That is, to confirm the promises to the patriarchs and to bring the nations to praise God for his mercy. Paul then finishes this section of the letter with several Old Testament quotes that talk about the nations being brought into the praise, the rejoicing, and the hope that comes with Israel's, Israel's Messiah. The emphasis here is that this was God's plan all along. It was much bigger than just getting along with each other. It was even bigger than the business of loving one another because that love had a purpose 
to bring us into the purposes of God in the earth, to bring us into the vision of God that the nations would come together to worship him, not just Israel. Jesus spoke of it himself in John 10. He said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and my own know me. And I have other sheep too, which don't belong to this sheepfold. I must bring them too and they will hear my voice. Then there will be one flock and one shepherd. Excuse me. We, everybody here, we're part of those other sheep that Jesus was talking about. That message and the truth and the life that came through Jesus reached all the way through the centuries to us in this room. And we now have partaken of that life that he was offering. Excuse me. So our thoughts and our expectations around all of this that we're discussing have to rise above the level of getting along with each other have to arise above the level of just, just even being open to accepting one another in love. We have to see that God has a purpose in the earth for us today that is facilitated by doing just these things that Paul has pointed out here. Little me, connected with all of the little yous out there, gets, becomes something that's God-sized in its impact. God-sized in its vision. God-sized into what it means for the earth today. I'm sorry. I need to just wrap up here. <laughs> um, so we have a part to play in something God is doing. And these things, these instructions that we've just gone through from Paul are a part of fulfilling that part that we are to play. It's nothing less than a continuation of the work of Jesus in the earth. Now, our, our part in this work is really pretty simple in the basic description. Uh, we have that life of the age to come, that life of the new creation that came with Jesus in us. That is a part of who we are, and that's what we're looking to express. So our role is simply this. We offer ourselves to one another in love. The love of God manifests through us. It shows up in power and in beauty. And we then, by simply following this direction, are putting ourselves in the place for God to do his work in the earth through us today. That's the power of it. That is the vision of it. And we don't have to know the end. We don't have to be able to visualize everything that the, the Bible mysteriously talks about in terms of the second coming of Jesus, the resurrection bodies we're going to get, the, uh, the new heavens and new earth coming down and God dwelling with humans. I mean, this is all just way beyond our ability to completely picture and grasp but what we have to give ourselves to are these four instructions and focusing primarily then on loving one another and giving ourselves to letting God's love be manifested through us. There's the power and the beauty that will make the changes to our lives and the others we're around. Let's pray together about this. And then Ryan will come and take us, in, take us on. Father, I thank you for your working in our hearts and our lives today. I thank you for the 
the real power that is in this instruction from the letter to the Romans. May it come and have a place in our hearts and our minds. May we be established in this business of the power of your love coming through us and showing through us. May we have vision for it, and may you be glorified in doing it. We offer ourselves to you now for that purpose. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Terry.